a soldier with an AK-47 and hand grenades and um, all of these things that, you know, you use in video games to blow people up with. And I was astonished at how safe that made me feel. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode number 26, Sarah Grundy on adventure travel in Afghanistan. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. We have a really fun and interesting show for you today. Sarah Grundy just returned from a trip to the war-torn country of Afghanistan. Sarah is 23 years old. Out of high school, she went to cosmetology school, and she was a cosmetologist for several years. She's now returned to college, and she's working on a communications degree. She's passionate about people and building bridges to narrow the gap between cultures to bring the world's people together. She also enjoys the sports of rock climbing and football. And Sarah, welcome to the program. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. So, Sarah, we've just got to know, you took this trip to Afghanistan. Take a few minutes to tell your listeners about yourself and why you decided to go there. That's not the normal vacation destination these days. Uh, Yeah, no, it is not. I think my story begins a while back. Like you said, I decided to go to cosmetology school right out of high school. I was sick of doing math. And so I decided that a hands-on approach to learning and a creative outlet would be a really good change for me. And I already knew that I enjoyed people, but it was through that that learning process and through working, I still do it on the side here and there, but through working with different clients and different people from all different walks of life that I really found my passion for bridging those gaps and creating connections I think the whole Afghanistan thing probably started in some of my philosophy classes at college. There were a couple young men who were from the Middle East, and hearing their perspective of the Middle East and of America and the Americans in the Middle East and all of that was so different from what the media had presented to us. And my understanding was that I just felt like I had to know more. And I eventually found an organization that I was able to go on a trip with 11 other women to Afghanistan. We spent most of our time in Kabul, and it was just an incredible experience, but definitely not your um, beach vacation spot. (laughs) Wow. Um, So you just got back. Would you encourage others to take a trip like this? I mean, going to Afghanistan, I mean, this poor country, it's it's been in war more or less for a thousand years, I hear, and we all know the recent history. Would you encourage people to take the risks of going there right now with all the social unrest and violence? Yes. This trip is not for everybody. However, you have to be able to separate in your mind that Afghanistan is very different than Iraq. Um, It's even more different than Pakistan right now. And the political climate is changed and is continuing to change. There are realities that you have to be careful about. When I made the decision to go or in the process of making the decision 
there were a lot of conversations that I had with my husband and my family and a lot of thinking time I did in order to really come to grips with the fact that the reality is I could potentially not come home. And I really had to be at peace with that. And my husband needed to be at peace with that. And my family at least needed to be on board, even if they weren't 100% at peace with that. But one of the conversations my husband and I had when making that decision was that now was the time for me to do something like this. Uh, We don't have kids yet, but that is a dream of ours someday. And I don't know, especially not having gone before this, if I would put my kids in the position where they would be with, potentially be without a mother Mm. uh, for the rest of their lives. So that was something we had a conversation about, and it's a very different culture. We got trained really well through the organization. I felt ahead of time. I didn't feel like anything completely caught me off guard while I was there. And so that was helpful. But it definitely is something you would have to have conversations with your loved ones about and be at peace with the reality that you might not come home. So this was not a decision taken lightly at all. Absolutely not. Wow. So Sarah, you traveled with humanitarian non-governmental organization. Um, is that what made it possible to, you, to go on this trip, or could a person do that solo without the, the organization? Well, really, all you need is a visa and a plane ticket. However, I would not suggest that. Um, and even if you did apply for a visa, they don't grant those lightly, especially in Afghanistan. They're very careful about who they let into their country. So, I mean, there's a possibility that somebody going on their own wouldn't even be allowed to go in. However... I would not recommend going without people who understand the culture, who are from the culture and speak the language, especially as a woman. I would have been completely lost in my team. Even all of us put together and some of the women who had been there before would have been completely lost without having an organization and a safe place. And I mean, the reality is we had guards with us everywhere we went and I would not have felt as safe without that. Mm. Well, some people might think that it's lunacy to go to a a difficult place right now. But you know what? Afghanistan is full of good, wonderful people who live there all the time in that situation. And as Americans, I think sometimes Mm -hmm. we feel so removed and the media has told us it's so dangerous. And we hear about all the, you know, the wars and the killings and the, the terrorist attacks and those sorts of things. But the Afghan people live there. You know, that's their world. So tell us a story about an amazing experience that maybe made this supposed lunacy worthwhile? Just one? Oh, dear. Um, there, Like you said, there are people there that live in this atmosphere. You are correct in saying that they've been more or less in some type of war for almost a thousand years now. And the country and the city of Kabul, it shows it between the buildings and the poverty it's really showing that you can see that but part of what I loved seeing too was the little glimpses of hope and I would say that throughout the trip I'd be like oh there's some hope and it was these buildings that are starting to be rebuilt by the people and these people have such a love for beauty and for artistry and they're so creative and they love love color and so the buildings that are starting to pop in the a little bit wealthier areas of Kabul are just incredible. And to see that come from where they've been the past thousand years is just incredible. The people there, we hear about like the 2% 
of really, really, really bad people out there. And we're missing out on the other 98% of these people incredibly strong and passionate. These people have generations, their parents, 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 and parents, they've all been through this hardship that has just recently began to get a little bit easier. And only still for some people, a lot of people are still living in the consequences of all of the wars that they've been in, whether it be civil wars, Russia, things with America, the Taliban. It's it's incredible to see how even the poorest of the poor people have hope and are welcoming and their culture just loves to love people and everybody has each other's backs. If we went to a home and the mom wasn't there or the dad wasn't there, the neighbor would come over and have a conversation as if she was the mom of that house because they're that close to one another and that welcoming. They would never turn anybody away from their neighborhood if they could invite somebody in. And I just thought that was absolutely incredible. Mm. You know, I hear you saying all these these amazing things. I, I think about tenacity. Hmm. I think about resilience and community. And, you know, as sad as it is to say, hardship um, builds these things in, in a culture. Absolutely. And, uh, maybe, you know, maybe that's something that the the U.S. citizens could benefit from. I don't want us to have to go through hardship, but maybe we could we could be a little more tenacious and a little bit more resilient. And and uh, I think more than anything, though, because we are tenacious and resilient, I think it's that sense of community that we really need. I think I absolutely agree. And I think that we've gotten little glimpses of that. Um, I was only, let's see, 10 or 11, somewhere in there when 9-11 happened. But I remember a sense of camaraderie and watching the news where people were just weeping together and you didn't even know them. And I've heard stories come out of that long term where people are friends and people have gone through life together because of this. And I think that America has gotten little glimpses of that. Um, But we definitely, they tend to fade quickly. Whereas in Afghanistan, it's been a continuous thing, and they haven't had the chance for it to fade. Wow. So take a minute, Sarah. Tell us what it looks like, what it feels like, what it tastes like. You're walking down the streets in Kabul. Um, Describe the scene to us so that, you know, like a picture that we can enjoy with you. Well, Afghanistan is pretty much exactly across from Colorado, which is where I'm at. It's like if you went straight through a globe, you end up in Kabul. So we have very similar climates. The weather, thank goodness, was only in like the 50s and 60s while we were there. So that was nice. Um, It is really dry. They've been in a drought since 2006. So everything there is very dusty and dry, just as the pictures that you've seen. Um, They have open sewage systems, which doesn't help the smell a whole lot. And it's funny, I just got, um, somebody sent us a scarf from there, and I was like, oh my goodness, it smells like Afghanistan, and so I was having my mom and my husband smell it, and they were like, what is your problem? That smells awful, and I've just been burying my face in it because it has so many good memories for me, but Mm. it's probably an acquired smell. (laughs) (laughs) I would say so. Yes, but it's incredible. There are mountains there were some mountain ranges that looked identical to like our flat irons here or um, Pikes Peak. I was like, that could be Pikes Peak right there. And their mountains are absolutely gorgeous. When we 
spent time in the school with the kids. We showed them pictures of our mountains and pictures of their mountains. And it was really cool to see them make the connection of it. It was one of those things that kind of built a little bit of a bridge. It was something to connect and um, things that we can kind of have a common ground on. But the mountains are gorgeous. Just driving through that, it was like driving through Colorado except that the mountains are all around there. So it didn't help me with the north, south, east, and west thing for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, The city itself, what is that like? The city is built from mostly like stone and mud bricks. It has a lot of, like I said before, it's a lot really dry and dusty most of the time. Uh, While we were there, it did rain, and we kind of had to hike back in these little neighborhoods uh, to get to some of the homes we were going to, and we found a couple of what we call chocolate rivers. (laughs) It was little alleyways that were probably 6 or 12 inches deep in just water and mud and goosh, and so that was definitely an adventure for a bunch of American women, but it was definitely made some memories. The, Mm. The city... It's a very short city. If you think of New York or Denver or L.A., you've got a lot of different tall buildings, short buildings, a lot of variation. But through the wars over there in Afghanistan, they're just now beginning to rebuild. And so if you have a building that's even two stories high or three stories high, that's kind of a big deal over there. And it's a sign of wealth. And so most of the buildings are just a one-level, very basic square box um, made out of mud and some a lot of cement uh, which did not help in cold or in warmth it really traps in whatever temperature you have but it, it was interesting to see kind of how flat it was in an, in a sense hmm. so this was a humanitarian organization um, sounds to me like you had a purpose you're going over there to, to try to help people yes. what are some of the things that you did so we spent the first couple days in the school of our partner organization and we spent a lot of time just hanging out with the kids we taught all of the classes a little geography lesson and we gave them all blow up globes which was really fun trying to teach these kids who have are lucky if they've seen a soccer ball how to blow up a ball and play with it yeah um it was it was really cute teaching them how you have to pinch and then you have to blow in it, and then you have to put your finger on so the air doesn't come out. And it, there was a lot of giggles, and we didn't speak the same language, so that was interesting too. But we got to do that. We also gave them toothbrushes that were donated by a bunch of dentists here in America, which was amazing. And so we spent two days doing that, teaching. They have 500-plus kids at this particular school, and so we spent a couple different days teaching the same lesson to different groups of kids. So we got to do that, and then part of what this organization does is not only finding the kids who are the poorest of the poor who are working on the streets and pulling them in and educating them, but they also clothe them and feed them and give them medical attention. While we were there, a seven-year-old was getting had been flown out for a heart surgery because she had a hole in her heart, and this organization paid for it and supported her family and helped her mom go with her. And it was just this really beautiful story. She's doing great now. Uh, I think she's back in school this week or next week, which is just absolutely incredible. So 
not only do they pull these kids in and educate them, but they really try to make it a personal connection between the families. And so the next three days we spent, we spent time taking some of the children and going to their homes. And that's where we found our lovely chocolate rivers. Um, We would go in these vans that would barely, barely fit down the alleyways. And the kids would sometimes even take us by the hand and show us to their very, very modest one-room house, and they're lucky if they've got a stove in there. And we would get to sit there and talk to the families. And we asked a lot of questions that were very basic, just gathering information, kind of like a census. We asked about the family's income versus how much they're paying in rent. We asked about if the mother and father were working or if what the father did and how many hours he worked, how many people live in this little one bedroom, if they have any health concerns. And we really have a conversation about that as well as the other children in the household, if they're in school, whether it be a government school or another NGO school. We got to ask them questions. Sometimes if we felt comfortable in the home, we felt like we could ask them questions about their perspective on the new president of Afghanistan or his first lady, who has kind of made a stand for women's rights. We also asked them questions about how they felt about our military still being there. And it was just amazing to see how these women would respond with such gratitude and such joy, where we assumed they wanted us as Americans not to be there. I never once felt that. So we got to go in these homes and have these really eye-opening conversations with them, as well as pinpointing areas that this organization could help them in correcting and supporting them. We don't want to go in and fix things because that's not our place, but we can empower the women and the fathers and the children and educate them how to take better care of themselves. And so that was really the goal of what we were doing over there, was figuring out how to empower these families and bring hope to a country that has been devastated time and time again. Wow, that's fascinating. You know, this is the Adventure Sports Podcast, and most of our podcasts are about a sport, some sort <laughs> of a an adventure sport, like maybe skydiving or rappelling or hang gliding or scuba diving is coming up soon. And uh, But what an adventure. It was amazing. Spend time with people, you know, in their homes and in their lives and, and to find out what their needs are and, and try to find ways to assist. Yeah, absolutely. It was, in a, in a sense, you don't get the necessarily the same rush as you would skydiving I would imagine but there are times where your adrenaline starts going and your heart starts racing just for the stories that you're hearing and what these people have been through it's I mean adventure is the perfect word for it Mm. did you feel safe when you were there I did it's very interesting a lot of people ask me that and there are men on every corner they can probably see each other even around the the buildings and the houses almost every single corner of a main street you're going to find a soldier with an AK47 and hand grenades and um all of these things that you know you use in video games to blow people up with and i was astonished at how safe that made me feel um one of our guides was telling us you know ladies i know this is shocking for some of you who haven't been here before but these guys they're looking for the bad guys They're not here to hurt you. You have done nothing. They actually want you here. They think what you're doing is good. None of them are here to hurt you. They're here to protect you. And um, 
there was one time when we went up on the top of kind of a scenic outlook where we, our translator had a conversation with one of the guards who was up there and he is a native Afghani. And so he was able to have this conversation without it being like, you know, a bunch of white people coming in. And through our translator, this soldier came up to us, a group of 11 white American women and told us, I will die before I let anything happen to you. You are my guests and you are my responsibility and I am so glad that you are here. I will die before I let anything happen to you. And that brought me to tears. And several of the other women, like, you don't show a whole lot of emotion over their culture that's not really acceptable. But we were all just in shock at that statement. So I I don't know to what degree Afghanistan is still stuck under some of the Taliban... um rules but what about the dress of the women and and yourself were you able to dress like you do here or did you have to wear um more restrictive kind of modest clothing what what was that about yeah definitely well the when the taliban was in charge the women um were required to wear like a full burqa that's you a lot of times you see them in blue afghanistan typically wears those women wear them in blue and it's basically Kind of like a sheet that you would put over your head and pretend to be a ghost when you're a little kid. <laughs> There's a little bit of a mesh so that the women can see through and um, walk walk around safely. But they were completely covered under the Taliban. Now that the Taliban has been mostly removed, um, thanks in a large part to the United States, um, the women, it's still culturally appropriate to completely cover up. But most of the women did not have their face covered. So when we were over there, we had to have loose-fitting pants that covered our ankles and um, kind of dresses, anything that came close to the knee that was loose-fitting, as well as long sleeves. And we had to cover our heads with scarves that they called chotters. So it's basically just like a scarf that a lot of women wear here decoratively or as a shawl. Uh, you wrap it around your head, and so your face is showing, but your hair is completely covered in the back of your neck and your chest and any neck skin. Like, all of that is covered. Mm. Was that a new experience for you? <laughs> it was. It was definitely a little bit more annoying than I thought it would be to have to cover, keep something on your head all day and try to eat with something around your neck. Um, that It's just it's very interesting because you don't really think about that ahead of time. But I don't wear long sleeves. I always pull them up. And if I'm pulling up my long sleeves, I'm being inappropriate in their culture. So there was a lot of times where we all kind of had each other's back. If somebody pulled up their sleeves, you just gently reach over and pull it back down. And the person goes, oh, man, um, chatters were falling off and we had to rewrap them. It was really fun one time when we were in the airport and they take you into this little room as a woman and they another woman will pat you down quite extensively. Uh, and a couple of us were struggling with our chatters, our head coverings, and the ladies just started laughing at us, and they finally just took it off and helped us rewrap it, which you don't necessarily, like, in an American airport, that would probably shock me, but it was so normal for them just to think it was hilarious and try to help us with fitting in with their culture. So that was kind of fun. Mm. You know, I get the impression just thinking about going through airport security and how strict and formal everything is. And then for to have that human connection, you know, for people to yeah. just say, okay, let me help you with <laughs> that, you silly girl. <laughs> That's 
pretty much what it was, laughing and rolling and clicking of the tongues, and it was pretty funny. But it was definitely changed my perspective of them and hopefully changed their perspective of some of us crazy Americans. You know, isn't that what it's about? Adventure travel, it's about learning about other cultures and exchanging information, and a lot of prejudices just fall by the wayside when people actually connect and uh, say, wow, that's not what I expected. Absolutely. Underwater Fantasies is your full-service scuba, snorkel, and travel center. We are a paddy five-star facility with an on-site indoor heated pool. We teach scuba classes several times a month from beginner to professional level certifications. Once you're certified, join us on one of our group trips or let us help you plan your own tropical getaway. Call us at 303-988-6725 or find us online at www.uwfantasies.com. That's U-W-P-H-A-N-T-A-S-E-A-S.com. Enjoy something wild next winter. Enjoy a dog sledding vacation with Wintergreen Dog Sled Lodge in the beautiful Boundary Waters Wilderness near Ellie, Minnesota. For over 30 years, Wintergreen has provided lodge-to-lodge dog sled vacation packages and dog sled camping adventures for people of all ages. No experience needed. Warm clothing and boots are provided. Mush your own team of Wintergreen's handsome and friendly Eskimo dogs on scenic Northwoods trails, accompanied by Wintergreen's expert guides. You'll be in good hands with Wintergreen. National Geographic has rated it best in the business. Visit dogsledding.com for details. So, Sarah, I got to bring up the shopping because we <laughs> talked about this before we recorded here. I have to say, when I think of shopping, I immediately start to snore. I'm your stereotypical guy who just, you know, if I want to buy something, I hate the idea I'm going to have to walk into a store and get it. And the faster I'm out of there, the better. So this is my biased opinion. But I understand that there's something out there kind of akin to adventure shopping. <laughs> what was that about? <laughs> Uh, adventure shopping. Well, it probably would not be for you because it is not your typical go to Walmart, grab it, you're done experience. But we, 11 of us women with one interpreter who was a man, uh, he, he took us all. You say 11? 
11. 11 yes. women with an interpreter. Yes. In and an one Afghan bodyguard. Mall. In an Afghan kind of street mall. Um, <laughs> poor man took us around. And in Afghanistan, especially with the language barrier, um, prices are not necessarily set. And you're American women. So they assume that you have tons of money to spend and that you're not really bright enough to know what your buying is worth. And so our interpreter spent hours, probably about three hours with us. And we shot in this rug shop. And when it came time to barter for about eight or nine of us buying these gorgeous rugs, he would make up a story for every single one of us with a legitimate reason why we shouldn't pay full price. So <laughs> we need a recording of that. Oh my goodness. It was the funniest thing. We cannot try to keep a straight face. Okay. Give us an example. We want to know the Afghan rug story. So my Afghan rug story is, uh, they pulled out one that was purple and my friends and family know that I love purple. My hair's purple. My nails are always purple. Most of my clothes are purple. <laughs> okay. My The interpreter started calling me purple halfway through the trip instead of Sarah. And so this purple rug comes out. And at the end, everybody's like, you have to at least see how much you're going to get it for. And so our interpreter starts talking to him. And he's like, do you see this girl? She... It's purple. She is. Hair is purple. Take off your head cover. There, your hair is purple. Look at this. <laughs> so I'm like kind of pulling out a piece of my hair, trying to stay culturally appropriate, but still not disrespectful to him and showing a little piece of my purple hair. And look at her bag is purple and her dress is purple. She needs this rug. Okay. Okay. Listen, she is the youngest one on this team, which means that she gets the baby price. Baby on the team, baby price. <laughs> she has come just from her honeymoon. She got off the airplane in America and did not even go home with her husband. She got on a plane to Afghanistan, which is how much she loves your country. Now give her a good price. <laughs> so is this true? Did you jump off your, no. from your honeymoon onto the airplane to Afghanistan? No. My husband and I have been married almost two years now. And I'm pretty sure the shopkeeper knew exactly what he was trying to do, especially because none of us were keeping a straight face at that point. The good price just comes from the entertainment value. <laughs> yeah, that might have had something to do with it, that our interpreter had been there a time or two and uh, apparently is a very colorful storyteller. Another girl got a ring much cheaper in a different store because he told the man that when she landed in America at the airport, her and her husband were having a wedding at the airport and she needed a wedding ring. <laughs> and no one's going to believe that. Nope. <laughs> and he just laughed and rolled his eyes and gave her a little bit, not quite what she wanted. But it was definitely um, an adventurous experience. 11 <laughs> women, one interpreter who likes to tell... Yes, and a bodyguard who likes to tell colorful stories. Oh, that's fun. So adventure shopping. Okay, so there's a new adventure sport we have there's, to add to the list. I never dreamed sport. it would exist, but you've proven me wrong. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Was there a time that things did not go quite right? Yes, there were several. Um, well, it, probably the two biggest ones were kind of sandwiched in our trip. At the beginning of our trip, we actually have had this trip planned for almost it will be a year in a couple months. We had been working through the whole process. The first time 
we were supposed to go was during their elections over there for a new president. And so the political climate was just really uneasy. And when you have a lot of different political parties uneasy with AK-47s, it's usually not the safest thing. Um, And so our trip got postponed that time. And then we were supposed to go again. And the night before we were supposed to fly out, the Taliban attacked a guest house and um, there were several people killed. And mm. we, I think it was all over the news in America, but that it was, it was kind of a reality check and they didn't understand why they were attacked. And so we ended up getting postponed again for safety reasons. So that was um, a little bit discouraging and also a little bit unnerving. At the same time, it made us feel like the organization we were going with really did put our safety as a priority, which in the end ends up making you feel safer. At the end of our trip, we were trying to fly out of Kabul, and for multiple reasons, our flight got delayed for about seven hours. And you have to understand that the Kabul airport has three airplanes that fly out of it, and one big room, it's not like... Um, DIA or some of these bigger airports where you have a bunch of different terminals. It's one big room and there was no air conditioning and there were was one bathroom for men, one bathroom for women with little squatty potties in them. But there was a window in there. And so these we were um, still trying to respect their culture and staying completely covered up from our wrists to our ankles and keeping our chatters on our heads. And we were so warm that some of us were close to passing out and we would go into this smelly, itsy-bitsy, squatty-potty bathroom to find the little window. So that was not the best start to our 40-hour journey home. But again, we got there and we got home and everything went more or less smoothly, minus seven hours and a couple delays. But we're safe and we accomplished what we needed to accomplish while we were over there. Wow. So I guess it really pays to roll with the punches and not have a a strong opinion about schedules when you're traveling. Oh, yeah. And in Afghanistan, actually, pretty much anywhere besides America, um, there's a time frame called the ish. And you leave at 9 o'clock-ish. And that could mean (laughs) 9.15, 9.30, 10 o'clock almost. Um, And so I think especially as an American traveling anywhere else, you really have to be flexible and be able to roll with the punches because the rest of the world does not live on our very strict time schedule. Wow. Well, what about a funny story? Do you have a funny story from the trip that you'd like to share? We spent a lot of time with the women that worked for the organization that we were with. And we spent a lot of time just getting to know them and pouring into them and trying to build them up and empower them and let them know that what they're doing matters. Uh, and part of that was bringing them over to our guest house and teaching them how to play Jenga. So I don't know if a whole lot of our listeners have played this game, but it's a bunch of uh, pieces of wood piled up together and you see how many you can remove before it falls over. And we had a couple of the women who were working for the organization who are Afghan natives just love this game. It was so funny to see their competitive side come out. A lot of times in that culture, the women are a very silent strong. And we just got to figure out that they were just as crazy and wild and um, competitive as we were. So there were times 
<laughs> where I think we played for probably five hours straight one night. Oh, wow. We played Jenga and you kept hearing the crash on the table and yells and screams and high fives. And I thought that was just really, really fun because you don't necessarily think of that when you think of like an Afghan woman. But we got competitive and we ate. I, we took a bunch of Oreos over there. I think we went through seven packets of Oreos and I don't know, probably 300 games of Jenga by the time we left. <laughs> you know, I've heard people say that the women sometimes have to be the strength of the culture. Is, did you find that to be the case over there? Absolutely. Um, there are a lot of good men over there who are trying very hard to provide for their families. And even those good men, it's very difficult for them to find work that provides enough. A lot of times it's a choice between rent and food. And sometimes there's not even that, and they have to rely on wealthier family members. But there are a lot of men who are not stepping up to the plate, and there are a lot of um, drug addictions over there, and a lot of um, men who were killed by the Taliban or killed in different wars. And so there are a lot of widows and a lot of kiddos without dads there. And these women have to be both mother and father to their kids. And especially if there is not a dad in the picture, these women are trying to figure out how to provide for their family in a culture where women are generally expected to be at home and taking care of the kids. So we saw women who um, would go to their landlord's house and spend all day doing their laundry and sweeping and cooking and hoping for an Afghani or two, a dollar or two at the end of the day, even 50 cents at the end of the day. And sometimes they got in and sometimes they didn't, but they spent all day working just in case there was something they could do to provide for their family. And they have just such a, a silent strength and perseverance that uh, I think sometimes we as Americans just don't really understand how far we really have come, especially in that arena. Well, I'm catching a common theme here, Sarah about humans being human and what it takes. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and to know that regardless of whether you're in the, the West or, you know, the, the Middle East or the Far East, you know, people are people. And I personally have found that people have common dreams and aspirations. For the most part, though, it's, it's about opportunity to live life, to love their families, to play Jenga and have fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's perplexing that sometimes governments can uh, get in the way of all that. Yeah, definitely. I I hope that their, their recent changes in their government um, are going to make a difference. I, I think we have high hopes from after being there, and a lot of the Afghans have high hopes of the direction their country is going, which, I mean, reminded me a lot of just different times when as Americans we come together and reach for something better and like you said humans are humans and we just we just want to love and be loved whether that be our family or our friends or just that, those around us um so Sarah you went to a, a very different culture and then you returned back again to Denver Denver and Kabul cannot be that similar was it a bit of a culture shock yeah it was definitely I think harder coming home than it was going there. I felt like coming home, I had left part of my heart over there and with these women. And it was interesting, the kind of what I talked about earlier, the them welcoming you into their homes and 
when they had nothing to eat, they give you their tea and they give you the bread that they were saving and rationing for the rest of the week for their kids. Like they love people and their gift of hospitality is just amazing. And coming back, that's, there are people like that in America, absolutely for sure. But as a culture, we're very individualistic and it was very interesting kind of mental shift going from feeling absolutely welcomed everywhere I went to, okay, get this done. You're just a number, move in, move out. And that was, I think, probably one of the more difficult things coming back. Wow. So would you do it again? Would you go again? I am already begging for another trip. (laughs) There's a lot of fundraising that goes into it and a lot of um, preparation. I mean, a girl's still got to eat and make money on this end, go to school and make grades. But um, this is absolutely something that I am passionate about, and I think that the change that we're seeing over there is only going to get stronger when the people over there that we have started to build relationships with truly believe that we're not just a come in and come out and uh, leave, that we are there to do life with them and walk alongside them through the good times and the really crappy times, and if we don't go back, then all of that's for naught, so... I am absolutely going back, and I'm taking David with me next time. We've already decided that. David, your husband. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. That sounds great. Um, so I'm sure that there are going to be listeners who are going to say, wow, I want to know more about this. Uh, do you have any projects in the works to, I don't know, expound on a little bit, or how can people get in touch with you? I will send you to my Facebook page. It's called Grundy Around the World, G-R-U-N-D-Y. But you'll see pictures there and kind of little pieces, of glimpses of my trip there. And you're welcome to contact me there. And we can, if you have any questions or are wanting to get involved with the amazing things happening there and the growth of Afghanistan, I can get you guys plugged in and get you being a part of this amazing journey. Wow. Well, Sarah, thanks for that. So that is Facebook Grundy Around the World. Yes. So how does cultural travel and exchange benefit others? What do you think this is all about? I mean, this is the Adventure Sports Podcast. We want to know about the adventure side of it, but um, you said at the beginning that it was important to you to bring cultures together um, to bridge these gaps. And so how does cultural travel do that for you? I think that cultural travel is the best way to really understand another person's perspective. Uh, you can read a hundred books on the Middle East or on Muslims or on the different wars that they've been through. You can look at thousands upon thousands of pictures, but until you're there and until you're sitting across from a woman with eight children who's giving you her last bit of tea and bread and having those conversations and walking through those chocolate rivers and um, truly experiencing what their everyday life is like and how we can truly make a difference in that. You just can't get that from a book or a documentary or anything besides actually diving in and hands-on being there. Yeah. Did anything really surprise you? Did you have an expectation that was just completely off base? You know, I think the biggest thing would just be kind of what I talked about before of just how resilient the women are, especially I, that was one of my fears going over there as a very strong and independent woman. I was afraid of, um, making assumptions and dealing with women who were maybe not as strong or 
were oppressed and all of these horrible words we hear thrown around. And it was amazing how strong they were and how truly independent and resilient and inspiring these women were. I think that was something that you just don't expect, especially from our end and our feminist movements and everything else that you hear kind of thrown around in the media in America. Our perceptions of the Middle East are that the women just are oppressed and have no voice. Mm. So the oppression is there, but the women are strong. Absolutely. Would that be a fair statement? Yes. I think the oppression is beginning to loosen. Like I said before with the Taliban and how awful things were under that. Um, The president's first lady, his wife, has began appearing at political functions with him, which has not happened in I don't even know how many years and how many presidents have kept their wives um, kind of to the side and their job as president is first and their wife is just kind of there. They're expected to be married, but that's about it. And this woman has stood beside her husband and he says that she is a voice of reason and helps make some of the largest decisions for the country. And so I think that even though, yes, the oppression is there, there is hope and there is change. And um, a lot of it, too, is the women are taking responsibility for the honor of their household. And that's just a cultural difference that I hope never goes away. I hope that women don't completely feel like they need to do everything that the men can are doing because they play such a vital role in their culture. I think the opportunity for equality should be there and equality should be there, but the women play such a vital role in keeping their homes comfortable and watching out for their kids and educating their children and inspiring their husbands. Wow. Well, Sarah, thank you very much for this very descriptive show about what it was like to visit Afghanistan and to visit the people, the real Afghanistan. And uh, we thank you for that. It's been uh, a different sort of adventure than we normally talk about, but a fantastic adventure nonetheless. So thank you very much for your time today. Thank you guys for listening to me ramble. I really appreciate the chance to share my story in the heart of the Afghanistan people. And to all of our friends out there, this has been another Adventure Sports Podcast. Until next time, get out there and have some fun. Hi, friends. Help us get the word out about the Adventure Sports Podcast. Please tell all of your friends who love adventures and also go to iTunes. Give us a rating there and leave a review. Subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks.